0: you yeah. Take that, Lucifer. Amen. <laughs> oh, man, that's such a good song, isn't it? Did you listen to yourselves? I can't help but think that Jesus is on the throne. And he nudges his dad and goes, that's our boys and girls. Gosh, that's good. It is well. And that, again, has to be the foundation of the way we think. We have to understand that it is it is well with our souls. It is well. It is. If not, we can never talk about anything beyond saving our rear ends. If it is not well with our souls, we will spend the rest of our lives trying to be good enough. We will try to make sure that our theology tells us that whatever, whatever we need to hear to make us feel better, it becomes a man-centered theology. But when it is well with our souls because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can take, we can take the courageous look, we can take our eyes off of ourselves, and we can, we can look at Jesus, and we can look at others through his eyes because you're not worried about you. Do you realize how much time we've spent worrying about us Man, God is so good, you guys, and he's so, it is finished. When he hung on the cross, it is accomplished, Father. It's accomplished, and we have benefited from that, and you benefit from it this morning. So take a deep breath and exhale, and no matter what your struggle or or trial or temptation right now, it is still well with your soul, and that that is an unbelievable truth. Uh, can we just take a moment and pray I, I just it'll uh, uh, we'll just all close our eyes and, and take a moment if if you're not a prayer if you don't know Jesus would you just out of respect look at the floor for a second because I want to ask my brothers and sisters whether in this room or on the internet just to take a moment and ask God to speak this morning I want you to ask him to speak to your heart tell him what you what, what uh, that your ears are open and, and you want to hear what he has to say to you please Now would you tell them to talk to the people around you? Would you pray for those who are watching on the internet or who will watch the archives of this, that they would hear from the Holy Spirit, not from Mark? And now would you pray for me this morning, please? That there would be less of me and more of Jesus, that the word of God would be clearly spoken. Father, you've heard the prayers of your children, and we commit them to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> My sweet grandmother wore uh, the darkest um, color of Avon makeup she could find. I, uh, <laughs> I remember as a kid at Christmas, I would always get those uh, things you see on Palm Stars now. Uh, those little cars with cologne in them, if I'd only not opened them and poured them all over the dog. They're worth money now. But my, my grandmother would wear the darkest form of lipstick, and obviously she didn't do it while she looked in the mirror. Unfortunately, a lot of what she wore was on her teeth. And when we would go and visit my grandparents, the first 15 minutes often had my mother saying to my grandmother, you need to go look in the mirror, Mom, please. <laughs> and after convincing her she needed to, she would go, and if I'd walk by the place where she was looking, she'd be going like this. Some of you have seen that. Some of you have done it. Some of you need to do it. (laughs) When we think on the vision of that, where somebody thinks their makeup is perfect, and until they're told or until they look in the mirror and realize it's not, that's what James' letter is to the children of God. Um, This is not uh, the believers in Corinth. These believers that James are writing to, these Jewish Christians who are spread throughout the world, um, are not outright rebelling in their sin, and they don't appear, at least from this letter, to be tolerating what we would consider as big sins in the church, like Corinth was. And I'm not saying God has standards of sin, but we sure look at some sin differently, don't we? Uh, Corinth was neck deep in immorality, and actually it seems that we're saying, look at God's grace, look how sinful we are. Uh, That's not... Corinth, or that's not the people James is writing to. These people seem to be very committed. They seem to be uh, very faithful, and in their own eyes, there were even some that James is writing to that actually claims to be spiritual leaders and wants to be teachers, and he addresses that with them. However, James writes this letter because they don't realize that there's makeup on their teeth, that their sin is smudged around them in places that they don't realize that they have blind spots. I mean, let's be honest, and we need to realize this. One of the things we love to do in the church is we like to talk about the big sins because there's only eight of us really giving into those. And when we're not talking about the things that we struggle with, we feel better, and we can attack those things. We all agree on them. I want you to know that even the Christian who is committing adultery, no matter how many times they say that they're happy and God's making them happy, they know it's not right. And I think sometimes the church likes to, to, likes to over-talk things. And, and by doing that, Satan gets us to ignore the, the, the smudge of sin on our teeth. Most of us are like that. We're doing pretty well, but we just don't really want to think too much because we realize there's smudge. And that's what's happening to these people he's written to. Uh, some of the evidences of the smudge that he points out is they've lost their joy. They had stopped seeing life and trials and tribulations from God's perspective. They were treating others based purely on their, on their social and economic status. They were prejudiced. They were verbally abusive to each other and to those outside of the church. Uh, they were not listening to the Holy Spirit. And when they did hear him speak, obviously they weren't obeying what he was telling them. And, and, and so even though the church did not have a major problem or these Christians with adultery or an epidemic of immorality like Corinth did, their problem was much more spiritually dangerous, I think. That's that's something that I really hope over time I've convinced you of. If you decide today to start shooting up heroin, you know that's stupid. I mean, you know that's ridiculous. You may try to excuse that behavior, but you know it's inappropriate. But what's more dangerous than shooting up heroin is the believer that thinks they're in fellowship with God and excuses a bad attitude or a, 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 a smudge, well, that's just how I put my makeup on. If you don't like my teeth this color, don't look. And that is the attitude of our culture right now. Please, don't just look at what's going on from Washington, D.C., and see it as a problem in the school district or in businesses, but see it understanding as a, as a culture, a mentality, a mental change of our culture. We no longer live in a, what some would call a post-Christian era. We now live in a post-moral era. Please understand that this was not invented in Washington or Hollywood or New York. This was invented in hell. Satan is the author of chaos. He's not the author of order. God is an author of order. And when there is chaos, there's not wisdom and truth and sometimes we believe that the antidote to chaos is legal is 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 uh, merely and there's nothing wrong with making laws that create order but it is not the solution eventually all you can do is take a gun to somebody's head and make them act orderly what we need to do as the church and what we haven't done is we have taken our emotional investment away from reaching the lost for Christ which actually transforms them into an orderly world an orderly worldview through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives within them, and we have t- spent our emotional energy in a litig- liturgical, uh, liturgical, in a in a political type emotion that doesn't really change people; it just changes co- culture. And where we stand today, in my opinion, is there are more of them than us. There are. You may hate that. You may want to say, "Well, we may be a center-right country, whatever you want to call us." We are not. This country, though claiming somewhere around 75% to be Christians, if that were true, the fruit of Christ in our lives would have an effect on our culture, and it's not. And as Christians, in our panic, we, we, we try to change people, and now this is the wonderful thing about the time we're living in. We now have a moment to reflect on what we value and why we value it. We have a moment to decide if we still care about the lost more than we care about shopping at Target, Now, let me be clear again. I've never said you shouldn't boycott. I just said you can't boycott a place uh, without first first taking into account you have to maintain your ministry to people. Now, for those of you who think that, well, what do you want to do with Washington, do this? I think every one of us should make so much noise in Washington, D.C., and if necessary, look, at some point, I, I just want you to know that my daughter's 18 and she's about to leave high school, and she's going to probably go to SFA or A&M, and she is probably going to live in a dorm. I want to make it clear. The minute the government says that she can have a male roommate in a female dorm, the whole game changes. I'm not putting my kid in a dangerous position like that. Well, I thought you said, I said go to the bathroom at Chick-fil-A, the Christian John. I didn't say you have to use the bathroom at Target and, and witness. I just said you got to go minister to people. And, you know, I, I do not think, okay, for those of you who are into the boycott, now you have to boycott the public school system. I expect to see you there Monday. You can't boycott all of this stuff that's going on. At some point, make a change. Write, write somebody. Write everybody but you've got to remember that you've got to maintain also the ministry to the very people you're talking about. and you, you Ask the Holy Spirit to give you guidance and direction, but it's getting weird. I, I know it's getting weird, and it's going to get weirder. As of right now, it's inconveniencing us in the future. It's going to be dangerous for us, just like it's always been through the history of the church. So guard your hearts. Walk with God. Get close with Him. Let Him guide you and direct you. Well, what are we going to do if my daughter's going to be in a locker room with a dude? And by the way, if you don't think that's going to happen, you haven't met today's teenagers. What are you going to do? We'll figure something out together, right? So are we going to have a Christian school? (sighs) No! We'll do whatever it takes to raise our kids. That's why the church is valuable. We figure it out together, right? But we are not going to panic. So take a deep breath. So we've been talking about this for several weeks, for several months as we've been going through James. I mean, James has been incredibly practical, has it not? Because he's writing to a group of people who are pretty religious, pretty Christian, but they are divided in their loyalty between God and the world, and they're trying to figure out some of the same questions we are. How do I love the lost and not tell them off because they're so stupid? It's one of the questions. How do I have joy and trials at the same time? Fair questions. And he gave us the answer, in recent weeks. In James chapter 4, 7 to 10. This is his answer. What do you want us to do, God? It's getting immoral. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. That's what I just said. Walk on. Go to the bathroom at Chick-fil-A. And then go to Target. Walk on. Resist the devil. Can I just tell you something? Satan is not that smart. He's just been doing this for thousands of years. And if we could realize... Do you know why I believe, this is my opinion, boop, opinion, do you know why I believe that we don't have the demonology here in the States that they have in other parts of the world? In other parts of the world, they are conditioned to be afraid of the evil one, and, it, and, and the result of that is to worship him. In our Christian, religious, whatever you want to call it, culture, if Satan manifests himself right now in this room and things start flying around and you saw what is already going on, just to make it clear, there are demons in this room. There are. Scripture says that there are also angels. They're in this room. If they manifest themselves, do you know what most of you would do? What would most of us do? Okay. Okay. Just so you know, let me, let me answer this for you. <laughs> some some said laugh. So, uh, what we would probably do is run. Okay. We we'd get to the parking lot and then we would break up naturally into groups of five and start praying. Do you know why? Because all of a sudden we would realize that we're in a spiritual war. That's why I believe Satan doesn't do it. He doesn't want to out himself. He, wants, he does his best work in our lives when we believe he isn't real. And, he's, and it's worked. In other cultures, it drives them to worship him. In this culture, it might drive people back to worshiping God. So he's smarter than that. And you have to understand that. He does his best work in this culture in chaos. And when we don't take him seriously, we don't take him seriously. So we, we act in our flesh without our prayer. That's why he says here, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and what will he do? Flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom, instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. James is telling these believers to look in the mirror and get rid of the smudge uh, that is uh, uh, by surrendering themselves to the Lord as his kids. As Jesus said, they are to take up their crosses, put their selfish ambition aside, and follow him. And I I want you to pay attention here. Everybody, pay special attention. Up to now, and actually for the rest of this letter, except for the six verses we're in today, this letter is written to believers, to us. And, And for many of you watching on the internet and maybe even some in the room you're listening you're in a search for truth and you've been listening to this conversation because I've heard from some of you again off the internet you're out there and you're like it's nice to hear a pastor say these things I'm gay therefore I don't like how the church treats me and I don't I've been mistreated this way and the church are bullies or I had a pastor do this and all of those things um I understand, and I'm glad you're enjoying this study, but, and, I, and I want you to understand that James is talking to the children of God because we have smudge on our face, and that's true. And, and as we have taken an honest look at these believers that James is writing to, we could not help but look at ourselves and how we react to an immoral culture, especially today in our country, where we seem to be running towards moral and social chaos. And for a lot of us, this study is changing how we react to uncomfortable decisions of a post-moral culture. We are reacting, God willing, now more thoughtful with an eternal perspective instead of reacting in panic. Here's where I want to turn to today's text. While we, the children of God, have been having this conversation with each other and with our dad, and you've been listening in, and you've been refreshed by it or going, go, pastor, stick it to the Southern Baptist. There have been some of you who are celebrating that And that's not different than what was going on in James' time. Having read this book now dozens and dozens of times, there is a weird change in tone in these first six verses of James chapter 5. And I hope you're there, if not, turn there. You see, I believe that this part of the letter, these six verses are written to those of you who are watching James rebuke the church. Tell us to clean up. Get rid of the smudge. This section of this letter... I believe, is writing to people uh, who actually he does not, for the first time in this letter, identify as brothers and sisters. He identifies them. Well, let's jump in. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated out of their pay. The wages you have held cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Uh Uh-oh. It turns. It turns. You see, all of a sudden, James says something that you need to understand. And this morning's message like this morning's text, is for those of you who do not know where you stand with Jesus Christ. And let me add, those of you who may think you stand with Jesus Christ but hate his body, it is true that we may have lipstick smudge on our teeth as the children of God. But it is also true that you have a bigger problem than we do. And if for a moment in time you can put away your feelings about the church and your frustration with the church, because all of that and all of agreeing with the things that are said from this pulpit and other pulpits across this country make you feel better. The truth is, feeling better does not solve your eternal problem. Because if you do not deal with your sin, it will catch up with you and you will stand before the judge who is also our daddy. And James pulls nothing back when he says in verse chapter 5 verse 1, Look here you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Don't get caught up in him describing them as rich. Too much much of that goes on in the study of James. James is writing. Now, again, I want you to understand how you study the Scriptures. This letter is not written to you. It is written for you. There is a context in which James is writing. And and if you get caught up in the rich, you're going to think that James and ultimately God doesn't like people with wealth. The problem is not how much they have in their wallet. The problem is he doesn't call them brothers and sisters. The problem is not how rich they are, but the problem is that these people, these wealthy people, if you read the letter, are being treated as favored guests in the church, and that although, although they are not right with God, they are being treated with kid gloves, which may in fact make them think they are right with God, when in fact they are not right with God, and therefore, even if you're right with the church but wrong with God, there's still eternal judgment to pay. Now, follow me. I want you to understand something. Today, by the church's rhetoric in our rage, we have taken our eyes off the ball and allowed everybody else to take their eyes off the ball. By that, I mean this. Instead of somebody who chooses to reject God, it doesn't matter if they're gay or straight, We, our rhetoric has become so loud that they have been able to attack us. We have become a bully which allows them not to deal with God. Because they begin to believe and it fits their emotional rhetoric that the problem is a lack of acceptance. That's why you have gay marriage today. The the gay community believes that the reason that they are second class citizens and don't feel good about their lives is because they can't get married. I told you that I actually think for evangelism's sake, the best day one of the best days for the church as it relates to the gay community is the day they can get married. Why? It's one less excuse for their for their Emptiness. You understand that we were all created to worship God, right? That we were created in the garden not to have a sin nature. We were created in the garden to hang out with God. And when that was changed by us choosing the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, of rebelling against God, everybody becomes empty. I encourage you to watch a rock concert and turn off the sound. Look at a rap concert. Watch what people do. They worship. People worship all the time. Why does somebody look at. at, Look. You know that I'm not an athlete. I'm an actor. It's what I did as a kid. I love acting. And the fact is, we hail in our culture people who don't even write their own lines as heroes. George Clooney this week went off politically. I am always amazed that nobody says, well, that's the first thought you've had. Every other thought you've made publicly is written by somebody else. It's true. We have a culture that believes that if you said in such a suave way if you're Clark Gable that you're awesome well just so just so you know just because you're Clark Gable on the screen does not mean you're Clark Gable when the screen and the movie is not playing you're just a dude who's pretty messed up case in point Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball everybody loves them we all rooted for their marriage why because on screen they were cute off the screen they were abusive Johnny Carson, for some of you. Loved Johnny Carson. The guy was married at least seven times. Says something about his personal life. How many of us didn't love Robin Williams? And he hangs himself. It says something about the heart of people when the screen is, is dark. And, and our culture worships people in the public eye. And as long as they can, they feel better about themselves. Do you ever wonder, do you know why musicals were so popular at the end of World War II? Because it gave people hope in a hopeless time. Do you know why the Marvel movies are so hot right now? Because in two and a half hours, you can solve the problems of a world by a superhero. We want to feel better about our chaos, and so our culture buys into that. And the problem is that we keep lying to ourselves. Culture lies to themselves and we have as a church, as churches, we give them an excuse to not deal with God with their sin, whether it's homosexuality or lying or rejection of God or atheism or agnosticism. We give them an excuse because they're so busy pushing back on our rhetoric, they don't ever have to deal with God. And that's why James is writing to you. I beg of you, understand. You can hate the church. You can think the church is the problem. But if the church all of a sudden started acting the way you want them to, if we accepted your sin, if the church began to hug you every day, the problem is, upon death, your sin has not been dealt with. No matter what you get in this life, and in this culture, it was rich, it was wealth. That's who they had accepted and apparently misled into thinking that they're right with God. If you are rich in whatever you want to be rich in, the fact is, without Jesus Christ, you need to weep and groan with anguish because of the terrible times ahead of you. To live the rest of your life in nice clothes and acceptance or whatever, emotional or otherwise, and to die and go to hell is still to lose. And this isn't just James talking. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sins, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourselves. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Revelation 21.8, cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, immoral, and those who practice witchcraft, uh, idol worshipers, and all, okay, let's skip that, their fate, Liars. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Oh, he is Baptist. How about this good old one? Romans 6.23, the first part, for the wages of sin is death. And of course, James 5, 1-5, look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure you have hoarded will uh, will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who, who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. The fact is, no matter how badly or or goodly, (laughs) that's not a word, but I'm making it up, no matter how badly or goodly God's kids treat you, your real problem is not with his children. It is not with the church. It is not with the rhetoric of the church, however good or bad, biblical or unbiblical. How smudgy we get, how dirty our feet get, the fact is, your problem is not with us. It's with Jesus Christ. That is your problem. And you have to understand that. And we are a messy lot. And we are a panicked lot. Because most of us are scared to death of what's going to happen with our kids. And so we at times treat you improperly. And maybe all the time we've treated you improperly. And that is a horrible thing. And you're right, you, sh- you can hate us for it. But here's the problem. You can hate us right into hell. That's the problem. I know some of you are going, wow, what got under his crawl? James did. I mean, this is kind of hellfire and brimstone. It's God's hellfire and brimstone. Th- this is This is the truth. You see, the problem is, according to Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us. Every one of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Let me teach you a little something interesting here. That statement right there is by effect the definition of sin. Sin is not a religious word. Sin is an archery word. And when you shot an arrow at the dot in the middle of whatever you're shooting at, if you missed it, you sinned. Oh, that's bad. No, it's not. It just means you missed the mark. We've turned everything religious. It's not religious. It simply means that God has a mark in the middle of a piece of paper that you've got to hit from 400 miles away, blind, dead, and without a gun. Well, how can you do that? You can't. That's why that verse, everyone has sinned. We all, therefore, fall short of God's standard. And that's a problem. We have all missed the mark. And the problem is Romans 6.23 the wages of that is death. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're right, oh, no. It's not a church. The church can't fix that. Your priest can't fix that. The doctrine of the church can't. And if the whole country agrees with whatever your sin is, it's not going to solve this problem because this is not a country problem. This is not a world problem. This is a God problem, a judge problem. That's why James says to you in James 5, that it, that it is uh, it, there is fixing to come a time, and that was Texan, because most people are Texan. There's fixing to come a time when it all comes crashing down, whatever you invest in. That lover you shouldn't be with will not be able to satisfy you in eternity. The money that you finally made will not be able to satisfy you after this life. The hope that you feel because the government is whatever, fill in the blank, it's not going to satisfy you. The religion that you are being a part of will not satisfy you 10 seconds after death. This is just simple gospel, but here's the rest of the story. Unfortunately, we always have a tendency to end there, so I'm telling you, you're going to get yours. That's not what it's saying because here's the other half. Notice this. See those, no, go back, Annie. I almost said Julie. Annie, go back. See those three dots right there? Everybody in this room, or most of you have had a third grade English class, right? And those three dots say something, right? They say that it's not the end of the sentence, And this drives John nuts when I put this up here. Every time I put up the wages of sin is death, he goes, don't forget the rest. He's right. Too often we're too excited to say, well, the wages of sin in your life is death. Have a great day. There's the rest of the story. Look at it, uh, 623, the rest of it. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You do not have to die in your sin no matter how stupid the church is. You do not have to die in your sin. You don't. You don't have to. Well, I don't want to be a Baptist. I don't really care. I'm the worst Baptist you've ever seen. You don't have to be a Catholic. You don't have to. But you do have to run to Jesus. It's a free gift. You have to accept the gift. I am amazed. I love pickers. Do you like the picker show? I love that show. And I am amazed when those guys go into, a, into, into a, a, an old barn and under a pile of junk is a really sweet car with all its original stuff. Why would you hide that? Do, do you ever look at them and go, man? I, I don't think that that's a great thing. I think you're a hoarder. It I, doesn't make any sense. Why would you hide such a beautiful thing? It doesn't make sense. Having a 1914 Model A Depot hack in mint condition, covered up with blankets and trash in your barn, is about as smart as being offered eternal life and rejecting it. It's free, it's paid for. And you may have a problem with God's kids, but spending the rest of your life hating on God's kids and rejecting God because of his kids is a foolish, foolish move. It's foolish. And I think, opinion, that James has been talking to the church going, oh, do you not see how blood, you got lipstick on your teeth. And the church is going, "Uh, oh, okay, what do you want me to do? I want you to pray. But he's worried that somewhere underneath are a bunch of people who are hearing this letter read like a message, and they're going, you bet. Because these people are fake. Or worse yet, the rich people in their community who are being treated like royalty in their gatherings are going, well, they accept me, so I'm spiritually fine. James is nervous about that, and he wants them to know that no matter how rich they are and how well or badly they're being treated by the church, that doesn't matter because ultimately God is the judge. And you've got to deal with God. And you've got to deal with God out there. Those of you on the internet who wouldn't step into a church and you're watching us because of that, I'm telling you, you can love me, you can hate me, you can love us, you can hate us. You can hate what the evangelical right does. You can do that, but you still have to deal with God. You still got to deal with God. Cuz if you die not having dealt with God because of his kids, it's like it's like dying of a major coronary that could have been fixed because you don't like the doctor. That makes ridiculous sense or the receptionist at the hospital. I think I'm having a heart attack. Okay, let's go to the hospital. No, I don't like the receptionist. Are you thinking about what you're saying right now? I just really hate her. She's ugly and when I walk in she's going she saw me eating a hamburger last week. It's, I really need to get you to the hospital. Not if she's there. Oh, what an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a fool. Don't believe the hate and don't believe the love. We're worried about churches that are advocating homosexuality. There's always been weirdos. We should not worry about them because Jesus is the answer. He's always been the answer and he's the only answer. Church, tell your neighbors about Jesus, not the political right. Friends, tell your neighbors about Jesus, not the political left. Tell your neighbors about Jesus, not Carpenter's Way Church. And you who are watching, run to Jesus. We're here to help, but you need to run to Jesus. It's it's crazy in this place. And those of you who aren't here don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm obviously talking a lot to people on the internet today. But the fact is... We don't do an altar call here at the beginning, end of service. And that means, uh, that means multiple things. Number one is it means that people don't know how to join Carpenter's Way. And every four months when we've forgotten to do a membership class, people are like, how do I become a member? It's very expensive. I want you to know something. It's not a secret. You just got to listen beyond the rhetoric. The wages of sin is death. But... The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans 3, 23 to 25. For everyone has sinned. I already shared this with you. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God. Yet God. I think this is a major bad translation. should have said but God. It's my favorite two words in the New Testament. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. They could bury me in Greek. But God... <laughs> Undeserved kindness declares that we're righteous. Are you kidding me? He did this through Jesus or Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Wow. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. Here it is. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's it. That's it. The last verse even tells you how to be saved. Being made right with God is simply an act of believing. And growing up in the United States of America, which most of you have, you're familiar with these two verses, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. simple as that. And in the next verse, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. What's God going to do with those things I struggle with? He's going to forgive you if you want to be forgiven. Then he's going to change you from the inside out. He's going to give you the strength to courageously step away from your temptation. Aha, so I have to change. No, you have to acknowledge you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you. You will be changed after. That's what James is about. It's practical. Here's the deal. You may think that the worst problem in life is people's meanness or the church's treatment of your kind of folk or war or eating meat. Whatever you think the main problem with humanity is, whether it's global warming or even capitalism, let me just tell you that even if that problem was solved into your liking in this lifetime, you will still have a problem with the creator of the universe who happens to be God, who happens to be my dad. And if you have died not having dealt with him as it relates to your sin, you will be judged. You will be held accountable. Let me tell you something he wants me to tell you about this morning. He wants me to tell you that he is not mad at you. He's mad about you so much that he actually sent his only, and I want to be careful when I use this word, but his only biological. We use the word begotten. There's only one son of God that was actually DNA connected by the Holy Spirit. I do not want a conversation about him being the same and all that. It's still in there. 100% man, 100% God. I do not have it figured out, and I eat the pretzel. I don't study it. But the fact is, his only biological child, he said, I'd kill you so that I could save them. And if you're gay, straight, in transition, wherever you are today, a murderer, a liar, a thief, an adulterer, a pornographer, a Catholic, a Baptist, a Methodist, a Lutheran, a cultic, a Church of Wells person, if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will save you. He will. He's promised to because the price has already been paid. Family, I, I, know, I, I know what I'm about to read you. You've heard on a f- several occasions, but it's the best illustration I've got, and today's message really isn't for you. So I'm going to ask you to indulge me. There was a certain professor of religion named Dr. Christian, Christensen. He was a studious man who taught at a small college in western United States. Dr. Christensen taught the required survey course at Christianity at a particular institution. Every student was required to take this course his or her freshman year, regardless of his or her major. And although Dr. Christensen tried hard to communicate the essence of the gospel to his class, he found that most of his students looked upon the course as nothing more than required drudgery. Despite his best efforts, most students refused to take Christianity seriously. This year, Dr. Christensen had a special student by the name of Steve. Steve was only a freshman but was studying with the intent of going into seminary for ministry. He was popular, well-liked, and he was an imposing physical specimen. He was now the starting center on the school football team and was the best student in the professor's class. One day, Dr. Christensen approached him and asked Steve to stay after class so that they could talk. How many push-ups can you do, son? Steve said, I I do about 200 every night. 200? That's pretty good. Do you think you could do 300? Well, I I don't know, he said. I've never really done 300 in one sitting. I need you to tell me, can you? I I need you to tell me if you think you can. I I don't know. I I could try. I would sure be glad to try. Yeah, I, I can do it. I'm pretty sure I can. Dr. Christensen said, good. I need you to do this on Friday. Let me explain what I have in mind. So Friday came. Steve got into the class early that day, and he sat in the front of the room. And when the class started, the professor pulled out a box of donuts. Now, these weren't your normal kinds of donuts. They were extra fancy. They were big. They had cream centers and frosting swirls. Everyone was pretty excited it was Friday. It was the last class of the day, and they were going to get out early for a long weekend, and the party would begin in Dr. Christensen's class with donuts. So Dr. Christensen took the box, and he went to the first girl in the first row, and he said, Cynthia, would you like to have one of these donuts? She said, I sure would. Dr. Christensen then turned to Steve, and he said, Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so that Cynthia can have a donut? Sure. Sure. He jumped down from his desk to do a quick 10. Then Steve again sat in his desk. Dr. Christensen took a donut and a napkin and set it on her desk in front of her. So then he went to Joe, the very next person. And he asked Joe, you want a donut? Of course, Joe said, yeah, I love donuts. Dr. Christensen asked Steve, will you please do 10 push-ups so Joe can have a donut? Steve did 10 push-ups. Joe got a donut. And so it went down the first aisle. Steve did 10 push-ups for every person before they got their donut. And down the second aisle, until Dr. Christensen came to Scott. Scott was a basketball player and was in good physical condition as Steve. He was popular and never laughing for female companionship. But this time when when the professor asked, Scott, do you want a donut? His reply was, can I do my own push-ups? Dr. Christensen said, no. No, Steve has to do them for you. Then Scott said, well, I don't want one. So Dr. Christensen shrugged shrugged his shoulders, turned to Steve anyway, and said, Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so Scott can have a donut he doesn't want? With perfect obedience, Steve started to do 10 push-ups. Scott said, hey, I said I didn't want one. Dr. Christensen said, look, this is my classroom, my class, my desks, and these are my donuts. Just leave it on the desk if you don't want it. And he took a napkin and a donut and he set it on his desk. Now, by this time, Steve had begun to show a, a, a slow down a little bit. He just stayed on the floor between sets because it took too much effort to get up and down in his chair. You could start to see a little perspiration coming around his brow. Dr. Christensen started down a third row. Now, the students were beginning to get a little angry at him. Dr. Christensen asked Jenny, Jenny, do you want a donut? Sternly, she responded, no. Who are you to tell me that he has to do push-ups for me I don't want? Dr. Christensen quietly looked at Steve, and said in a, in a mellow voice, Steve, would you please do 10 more push-ups so Jenny can have a donut that she doesn't want? Steve did 10. He said a donut before her. By now, there was a growing sense of uneasiness in the room. The students were beginning to say no, and there were all these uneaten donuts on desks across the room. Steve also had to really put forth a lot of extra effort to get these push-ups done for each donut. There began to be a small pool of sweat on the floor beneath his face and his arms and his brow were beginning to get red because of the physical effort involved. Dr. Christensen went to Robert, who was the most vocal unbeliever in the class, to to watch uh, uh, Steve do each push-up to make sure he did uh, the 10 full push-ups. He asked him to stand next to him. He sent Robert over to where Steve was so he could count them one at a time and tell him if it wasn't enough, he'd have to do another. During his class, however, some students from other classes had wandered in and sat down on the steps and along the radiators that ran down the sides of the room. When the professor realized this, he did a quick count and saw that there were now 34 students in the room. He started to worry and wonder if Steve would be able to make it. Dr. Christensen went on to the next person, and the next, and the next. Near the end of that row, Steve was really having a rough time. He was taking a lot more time to complete each set. Steve asked Dr. Christensen, Sir, do do I have to make my nose touch the ground on each push-up? Dr. Christensen thought for a moment, and he said, Son, these are your push-ups. You're in charge now. You can do them any way you want. And Dr. Christensen went on. A few moments later, Jason, who was a recent transfer student, came by the room and was about to come in. When all the students saw him enter the door, they yelled in one voice, no, don't come in, stay out. He had no idea what was going on. Steve picked up his head and he said, no, no, let him come in. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Christensen said, you realize that if Jason comes in, you're going to have to do 10 push-ups for him as well. Steve said completely out of breath, let him come in. Give him a donut." So Dr. Christensen said, okay. Steve, I'll let you have Jason's out of the way right now. Jason, do you want a donut? Jason, new to the room, hardly knew what was going on. Yeah, he said, I want a donut. Steve, will you do 10 push-ups so that Jason can have his donut? Steve did 10 push-ups very slowly and with great effort. Jason, bewildered, was handed a donut and sat down. Dr. Christensen finished the fourth row, then started on the visitors seated by the heaters. Steve's arms are now shaking with each push-up in a struggle to lift himself against the force of gravity. Sweat was profusely dropping off of his face, and by this time there was no sound except the heavy breathing. There was not a dry eye in the room either. The very last two students in the room were two young women, both cheerleaders and very popular. Dr. Christensen went to Linda first, the second to last, and she said, Linda, do you want a donut? But Linda very sadly said, no, thank you, sir. I don't want a donut. Dr. Christensen quietly asked Steve, son, will you please do 10 push-ups so that Linda can have a donut she doesn't want? Grunting with effort, Steve did 10 very slow push-ups for Linda. Then Dr. Christensen turned to the last girl, Susan. Susan, do you want a donut? Susan, with tears flowing down her face, began to cry. Dr. Christensen, why can't I help him? Please, let me help him. I'll just put my hand under him and push him up. Dr. Christensen, who now has tears of his own running down his face, said no. No, sweetheart, Steve has to do it alone. I have given him this task, and he is in charge of seeing that everyone has the opportunity to eat a donut, whether they want it or not. And when I decided to have a party the last day of class, I looked at my grade book. And realizing after looking that Steve was the only student in class with a perfect grade, actually, everybody else has failed a test, skipped a class, or offered me inferior work because they weren't interested. Steve, on the other hand, told me that in football practice, when a player messes up, he has to do push-ups. I told Steve that none of you could come to my party unless he paid the price by doing your push-ups. He and I made a deal for your sakes. Steve would do 10 push-ups so Susan can have a a donut. Steve, will you be faithful to this task? Steve, one more time, got down, slowly finishing his last push-up. With the understanding that he had accomplished all that was required of him, having done 350 push-ups, his arms buckled under him, and he fell to the floor and collapsed. Dr. Christensen then turned to the room and said, So it was that our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross said to the Father, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And with the understanding that he had done everything that was required of him, he yielded up his life, and like some of those in the room, many of us leave that gift on the desk uneaten. Two students helped Steve up off the floor to a seat, physically exhausted, but now wearing a thin smile. Dr. Professor went over to him, put his hand on his shoulder and whispered in his ear, well done, you good and faithful servant. Then he looked at the class and he says, not all lessons are taught in words. My wish is that you might understand and fully comprehend all of the riches of grace and mercy that have been given to you through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ who spared not the only begotten Son, but gave him up for us all, now and forever. Whether or not you choose to accept his gift, the price has been paid. How stupid would it be of you to leave it sitting on the desk? And so my lost friend today that is distracted by a culture and a church that often does the wrong thing and is covered with makeup smudge on our face, the price has been paid the gift has been offered and it is sitting on your desk. And to die not allowing God to deal with your sin is more foolish by millions than leaving a donut on your desk that has already been purchased for you. And so I simply end with this in Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Please. Please. Don't leave the donut on the table. I don't care how much you hate the professor or the rest of the class. It's been paid for. For you, brothers and sisters who've been listening in, the next verse that we'll get to in a couple weeks kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book, and it's pretty cool. Anna, will you put James 5-7 up there? Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. We'll get back to that in a couple of weeks. As for the rest of you who are finding it exciting to watch the church struggle with herself, our struggle is temporary and maybe self-serving and silly, but it's nothing more than makeup on her face. Don't be distracted by that. Call on Jesus. So here's how we're going to end this service. I'm going to have in a moment, uh, our sound guys put soft music on and I'm going to ask you all, Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes and I'm going to ask those of you who are walking with God and know the Lord and ready to go to just quietly get up and go on to your class. You can fellowship out there and get coffee. But I want this to be a quiet place this morning. And if you're not where you need to be with the Lord spiritually or you don't know the Lord, uh, there's going to be some of us hanging around and we'd love to pray with you or we'll let you pray alone. And those of you who watch on the Internet, accept him today. You can email us. We will help you. We will help you find a church. We will help you find somebody to meet with you. You can be as gay as you need to be right now, but you need saving. It's not your socioeconomic status. It's not your sexual identity. It's sin that needs to be solved, and we beg of you. I beg of you today to please meet Jesus. You don't have to die in your sin. Family. Family. Please care more for people's soul than their sexual orientation. Please. Well, they can't be both. We just read a passage in Revelation that says you can't be a liar and a child of God either. Thank God for mercy. Mercy. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us and paying the price for every man, woman, and child that would ever live, even if they reject you. Enough blood has been shed for every child and every old man and every communist and every Republican, every self-serving idolater, every adulterer and every Baptist. The blood has been shed. And I pray that those who don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Today. Today. That today would be the day where they accept your offer to put their sin on Jesus. That they may become your child and be changed from the inside out. Let your Holy Spirit speak truth into people's lives. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. If you'd like to stay and pray, we encourage you to. There'll be people that'll pray with you. God bless you guys.